Welcome to Compared to Who, the podcast to help you stop comparing and start living. I'm your host, Heather Creekmore. I hate to admit this, but I used to secretly obsess over my appearance. I thought it was part of my job as a woman to always look better, but never felt like I could be good enough. Maybe you can relate. But God, in His grace, He showed me a way out, and I want to give you all the tools you need to break free, too. If you've ever spent too much time stressing over your looks, I get it. I hope you'll keep listening and find the same freedom I have. Here are three other things you need to know about me. I'm a minivan driving mom of four elementary age kids. I'm author of the book Compared to Who and a blogger at comparedtowho.me. And you just may have seen my epic bake fail on Netflix. If you've ever struggled with comparison or body image issues, Compared to Who is the show for you. I hope you enjoy today's episode and tell a friend about it. Hello and welcome to the Compared to You podcast. I'm Heather Creekmore and I am so glad you're listening today because today we're going to talk about something that may surprise you a little bit. We're going to talk about what we think about other people. Now, if you're like me and you struggle with body image and comparison and maybe you spend a lot of time worrying about what other people think of you, this may be something you've never even stopped to consider. But today I want to discuss how what we think of other people, the people in our life, the people that we see on the street, people we know, people we work with, people we go to church with, what we think of them matters. Here's why. If you truly want to be free of your body image issues, if you really want to never wear the chains of comparison again, then you need to renew your mind. Now, renewing your mind is a concept from Romans 12 too. And part of renewing your mind is changing how and what you think about other people. So some of you know I offer personal training where I work one-on-one with women to help them with their body image issues. So a few months ago, I was working with a client, and I'm going to just call her Julie to protect her anonymity, but I asked her this question, what do you think when you see women who have the qualities you long for? And so what this started for Julie and I was a discussion about women she sees, women she knows that she kind of compares herself to. I don't know about you, but we all seem to have those women in our lives. In fact, when I work with clients, it's normally pretty funny how quickly and easily they're able to say, yes, I can name for you one woman that I compare myself to a lot. So anyway, Julie was explaining to me that this woman that she tends to compare herself to is a woman she sees only about once a year. It's a wife of someone from her husband's work. And so every time there's a work party, she sees this woman. And she explained to me how this woman just seems like Little Miss Perfect in every way. She's always dressed nice. She always looks put together and she's just gorgeous. And so Julie told me that every time she sees this woman, she just feels like she's not good enough. She said, these are her words. She's like a like a fat slob standing next to her. But then Julie explained how it goes even further, how she almost hates even going to the party every year just because she hates seeing this woman. So what I try to do with Julie is I try to dissect these feelings. So we kind of dug into, well, what's really going on when you see this woman? And Julie admitted that part of it was envy, right? She sees this woman and this woman has attributes, qualities that she longs for. And so there's some envy there. And we talked about the importance of addressing the sin and confessing the sin of envy involved. But we also talked about another truth. And that truth is that Julie doesn't really know this woman very well, but she projects 
projects onto this woman a lot of qualities just because of the way this woman looks on the outside. Julie tends to believe that this woman is better off than she is simply because she's beautiful and dresses nice and looks put together every time Julie sees her. So then I asked Julie a tough question. I said, hey, do you know what it's called when you see a woman and you project all these qualities onto her just because of the way she looks? And Julie was stumped for a second, so I let her out the hook. It was like, hey, Julie, it's called objectification. Now, objectification is kind of a funny word, right? And I think we've talked about it on the podcast before. But objectification is a word that a lot of times we think about in relationships to the way some men look at women, right? They look at women as objects. They don't see them for the qualities underneath. A man who is objectifying a woman is looking at a woman and determining things about her value without even knowing anything about her other than the way she looks. And so as Julie and I kind of got into discussing objectification, I could see the light bulb go on for her. She was stomped almost that she could be objectifying another woman. But it was really helpful for her to understand that we women do that to each other all the time, don't we? Like we look around and we see someone who has those traits, those characteristics, that body, that look, whatever it is, they have what we want and we make other assumptions about their lives because of the way they look. So then what Julie and I did was we turned it around a little bit. We twisted a little bit. We started talking about how wrong it would be to do this with women who maybe we're not apt to objectify. What if we spotted a woman who had like really messed up hair and, you know, wasn't wearing any makeup and maybe her clothes are all ratty and tattered? If you saw her and made negative assumptions about her, wouldn't that feel wrong? We don't know her story, right? Like maybe this woman with her ripped up clothes just escaped a bear attack or something. I don't know. Or she's just having a really hard day. We don't know her story, but how wrong it would be to make a assumptions about her just based on her appearance. That wouldn't be fair, right? So then what Julie and I discussed was the importance of truly not judging, to be cliche, a book by its cover, right? We truly cannot judge, assess, make assumptions about other people just by the way they look. And friends, if body image comparison, if all this stuff is your struggle, then I'm going to say this gently, but I think that this might be a problem for you because those of us who struggle with the way we look believe somewhere deep in our heart of hearts that the way people look is what's really, really, really important about them. Now, intellectually, we know that that's not the most important thing, but boy, you guys, those of us who struggle with body image, we have a hard time not believing the lie that the way someone looks is what's most important about them. So this is why it's so important to think about what we think about others. So where Julie and I went from here was we started talking about how great it would be if Julie could get to know this woman better, if she could invite this woman that's connected to her husband's work, if she can invite her out for coffee, get to know what's beneath the surface so she can know the woman a little bit better and stop objectifying her. See, what's fascinating is once we get to know someone, once we become friends with someone and get to know them better, it's a lot harder to objectify that person because we actually start to learn about who they are and we see them as human, no longer as an object. The other thing Julie and I talked about was just the reality that women who look like they are perfectly put together on the outside are sometimes completely falling apart on the inside. I mean, sometimes it's these same women that we compare ourselves to, that we struggle, you know, not to look at enviously. It's these same women that have the exact same issues with body image in comparison that we do. And sometimes 
even more so. So what I encouraged Julie to do was to not just get to know her, but to kind of dig in a little bit to find out if maybe the reason this woman is always so put together, always so perfect looking, if maybe the reason for that is because she's actually struggling too. So today I want to ask you this. How do you think about other people? What thoughts secretly, thoughts that you never say out loud, not to anyone, not your best friend, not your husband, but what thoughts do you have about other people? How do you size them up in your head? And do you believe they matter? You see, if you're a Christian, by that I mean a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, I think you have to understand that our thoughts aren't secret. First of all, we know that God knows our thoughts, right? But do we always remember that we're accountable for them? I know that's hard for me to remember. I'd rather not think about that. But in Matthew, Jesus explains how the law has changed between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The standard changed. And so Jesus explains in Matthew how no longer murder is simply defined as killing someone. Now murder is just hating someone in our hearts. And then Jesus goes on to make it even worse. He explains how adultery isn't just sleeping with someone who's not your spouse. Adultery is lusting after someone. Jesus makes it clear that he knows our thoughts and that what we think happens in secret inside of our brains actually has an impact on us. So how do we apply this to our body image and comparison issues? Well, I think there's a couple ways we can do this. First of all, we have to start paying attention to what we think about others. Like sometimes these thoughts are so habitual that we're barely cognizant of them. But friend, if you secretly hate someone because she's dressed cuter than you or has skinnier legs, you've got to stop it. You need to stop because that's what God wants. But you also need to stop because you're going to stay stuck in your issues if you don't. If we truly want to be free, we have to change our thoughts about other people. It's going to take some intentionality, but we have to stop objectifying. And we have to start seeing and loving people as real human beings, people that God created and people that God commanded us to love. My second point is that we have to stop idolizing people. Like, isn't this what we actually do when we objectify someone? Maybe you do it with celebrities, or maybe it's that woman you know that always looks great, just like Julie's person. But either way, we take a person who has some of the attributes that we desire, and we put them up on a pedestal. And friends, putting a person up on a pedestal is a surefire way to make yourself an idol. Now, I know you're thinking, but I don't actually bow down to that idol. I just admire them. But let me encourage you. We admire what we desire. I'm going to say that one more time. We admire what we desire. And I found the more I make other people my idols, the further I stray from desiring and becoming like Jesus. You see, our hearts were designed for worship, but they can't worship both Jesus and a supermodel without one of them getting cheated on. So if you can think of some woman in your life or a celebrity woman that you desire to emulate, I want you to ask yourself this question. Ask yourself if you have as much desire to be like Jesus as you have to be like her. The answer may hurt. Like I know the first time I asked myself this question, I didn't really want to answer it. Ouch, right? But seeing it, acknowledging it, friends, that's the first step to breaking free from it. Jesus doesn't want you to look or be more like her. He wants you to look and be more like him. So ask him to forgive you for getting that confused and then walk in freedom. image been bogging you down for too long, it's time to get free. My friend, go to comparetohu.me, take your free body image awareness quiz. You will learn amazing things. You'll get your results right away. 
And I think you'll have fun too, because I mean, who doesn't love to take quizzes? Go to comparedtowho.me. There's lots of great resources on that site. Articles about body image and comparison and how you can find freedom through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Check it out today, right after this episode, of course. Third, stop and think Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. About what you think of other people that you don't admire. Now, this is kind of a tough one, but follow me here because I think if we're honest with ourselves, like sometimes there's people that we know, people we see, and our thoughts about them aren't really very nice or positive or uplifting or edifying. So, my question is what do you think when you see that person? who is the opposite of all you admire. Like maybe they don't have the look. Maybe they don't have the body. Maybe they don't have the job or the ambition or the aspiration. Maybe they don't emulate all of those qualities that you admire. What happens in your heart when you see them? Do you write them off mentally? Do you think of yourself as better than they are? What other things do you determine about them in your head that might not be very nice? I want to encourage you today to do what 2 Corinthians 10.5 instructs with these kind of thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us we need to take thoughts captive. And although these might not seem like the kind of thoughts that you need to take captive, today I want to encourage you that all those negative thoughts you have about people that maybe you don't admire so much, you need to get rid of them because they are hurting you. You see, what they're actually doing is they're reinforcing the wrong value system in your heart. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. You see, you can tell yourself that you know that your value isn't determined by your appearance or by your weight, but if every time you see someone who doesn't match the standard in your head that you've set for yourself, you're measuring them as less than. And you're kind of contradicting yourself, right? Because if the standard for your value isn't based on appearance, then the standard for their value can't be based on appearance either. The best way for you to believe for yourself about yourself that your value isn't derived from what you look like is to start believing that about other people. So when I work with women in personal training, we do this ruler exercise, and I'm going to try to describe it to you in a way where you can picture it. If you're at home and you have a brown, old-fashioned wooden ruler, like go grab it, and that might help you see it even better. Picture this brown ruler with the numbers 1 through 12 written on each of the inch marks. What I think we do, and what most of us have done since we were children, is we measure ourselves according to some ruler. And this ruler, this standard, was decided somewhere in our hearts a long time ago. So for me, 
my ruler, my standard was about thinness. And so on my ruler, by the number 12, I would write the word thin. And by the number one, I would write the words not thin. So for me, I took this ruler, not literally, but figuratively, I took this ruler around and I used it not only to measure myself at different points in my life, right? There were some days when I was getting towards 9, 10, 11, and then other days when I felt more like I was 2, 3, or 4, right? Going up and down on the sliding scale of my value based on whether or not I felt like I was thin enough. But then what I would do is I would take this ruler and in my head, I would measure other people against my ruler. So there would be people that I really admired who were really thin and I would take my ruler and I would measure them in my brain and I would say, ooh, she's so thin. She's like an 11 or a 12. Wow. But then I would come back to myself and come back to comparison and be like, well, if she's like an 11 or 12, I guess I'm only like a three or four and I need to do better. I need to try to catch up with her, you know, or then the flip side of that is I would take my ruler and I would measure other people who weren't as thin and be like, oh, well, I think I'm a little thinner than she is. So she's like a four. So maybe I'm like a six. And I would do this fake measurement with this false ruler to compare myself to other people and to see how I was doing. And friends, I think we all have some sort of fake ruler in our head that we use to measure people. Maybe yours isn't weight, and I hope it's not because it's a it's a horrible one to be part of. That's what leads to eating disorders is this, this skewed ruler that we carry around with ourselves. But maybe yours is about intelligence or the way people dress. I mean, it could be anything. Ambition, success, what, whatever you want it to be, whatever you determined as a kid is what gives someone value is probably what is on this internal ruler that you carry around for yourself. The ruler is not obviously a good way to measure people. But the other thing is this ruler is not objective, right? Like you and I, we're not objective. I'm sorry to break it to you if you thought you were objective, but we're not. We've all got bias. We've all got just different standards. We've all got rules that were reinforced to us when we were kids, maybe teenagers. We've got this internal set of things that we think of as right and wrong that we use to measure our ourselves and to measure people and they're not all correct. We've all learned poor ways of sizing people up and poor ways of comparing ourselves to other people and we need to stop. And so what I suggest is first of all, think about that ruler in your head, maybe make your own ruler, determine what your ruler is, but then we need to break those rulers, right? We need to realize, and this is where the kind of double meaning with rulers comes in, but we need to realize that these rulers are not our rulers, right? These rulers are not our kings. This ruler does not determine value, even though you might have carried it with you since you were a kid, this ruler doesn't mean anything. The standards, this measurement that you've created for yourself and that you use to measure other people, it's meaningless. And so what we have to do is we have to acknowledge it and then we have to find freedom from our tendency to make these imaginary measurements. A big extra special thank you goes out to Oh, wait, this podcast doesn't have any sponsors compared to who is a ministry subsidized mostly by speaking fees and book sales, which rarely covers the monthly expenses. But now you can be part of Compared to Who's mission. Through Patreon, you can choose to support Compared to Who. You can make a contribution of any amount, even a dollar a month, and it would be a huge help to our ministry here. Or if you're interested in advertising, contact Heather directly through the website. Thank you for considering being a part of Compared to Who in this way. Check out the links in the show notes if you'd like to help.
Next, I want us to think about how our thoughts about other people will affect our relationship with them. So growing up, my mom loved to quote the verse to us from Matthew 12, 34. It says, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I mean, we couldn't get away with saying anything. Like we couldn't even misspeak because my mom would always bust out that that's in your heart. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And in a way, I kind of hated hearing it quoted because I felt like it was going to be used against me. But now I have a different perspective on it. And I'm really beginning to see in my own life how what I think about people, what's going on in my heart about people really matters in my relationship with them. So the best example of this I can think of is my marriage. Okay, I hate to admit this, folks, but early on in my marriage, I had a really difficult time not thinking poorly of my husband boy, was I hard to be married to. I mean, if he did or said anything I didn't like, I would quickly assign bad motives to him. I would think in my head, well, he said that because, you know, he's just really wanted to hurt me or he just doesn't want to be married to me anymore. And he's just subtly trying to let me know. I mean, I overanalyzed every word, every action. And the problem was I was too focused on me. I only saw the world through the lens of what is he doing to me? I rarely gave him grace to make mistakes. He couldn't do or say things aside from me thinking about how they impacted me. Are you hearing the me theme here? So if like, he came home from a long day at work and wanted to sit and watch TV, I would not interpret that as he just needs some space. He's had a long day. No, instead, I would interpret that as he doesn't want to talk to me. He's mad at me for something I did or didn't do or said. I mean, I, I was in my head way too much. <laughs> And it is crazy and almost unbelievable that we've been married for almost 14 years because I was not fun to be married to early on. I know it. Amidst all of that, I realized that what I was doing in my heart, what I was doing in my head was I spent a lot of time thinking negatively about my husband. I would dwell on things he said, on things he did. And eventually I had to stop and take those thoughts captive and change my thoughts about my husband. You see, friends, you can think that you're alone with these thoughts, but the truth is you're not. Like they will come out. Even if you can manage to keep your mouth shut and pretend around him for a few days or a few hours, like eventually an argument's going to start and you're going to explode with all these things you've been meditating on for weeks. Trust me, I've had it happen. Those thoughts will come out. And even if you're disciplined enough not to let them come out, I promise you they're going to come out subtly in your attitude, if not directly in your words. This is something I had to be really intentional about, though. It didn't just go away. I had to literally start writing lists of what I respected and admired about my husband. Every time the negative thoughts started to come, I'd have to get out the list and remind myself of why I loved him and why I married him. You know, friend, I think the same principle applies if you have children too. What we think about our children matters. I struggled with negative thoughts about a child for a while. I was frustrated with the behavior pattern. I wanted it to change and I was getting rather annoyed that nothing I did seemed to be able to help change this pattern. Eventually, I felt the Holy Spirit convicting me about my thoughts and how I really wasn't loving this child very well because I was thinking so many negative thoughts about them. So I started being intentional with what I thought about my child. I started writing lists about the child and even saying more positive and encouraging words to my child from the good things that I thought about them that I'd written on this list. And it worked. 
my positive thoughts towards them changed our relationship for the better, and it did more to help the issue we were having than any discipline strategy I could have ever tried. You see, I do believe that people sense more of how we feel about them than we realize. And unless we're being intentional in shutting out the voice of comparison, which makes us not think nice thoughts about other people, and instead purposefully thinking well of others, we're going to find ourselves pretty isolated and lonely. A few days ago, I shared something on Facebook. It was a meme that showed a line with a little part of it segmented off, and it symbolized someone's whole life. And the little segment was the part of their story that we actually know. I thought this was a powerful picture because it's so true. If we could remember that we don't know the whole story, that usually we have no idea what other people have been through or what they've endured to get to where they are now. Like how different would our thoughts about others be if we could keep this in mind? What would it be like if we could be quick to offer people grace, even in our thoughts about them, instead of judgment? Fifth, what we think about ourselves matters. So if you've listened to me or read my writing for a while, you may know already that I'm not a big proponent of self-love. I think that what we need is more love for Jesus and others, and that the Bible assumes that we already have enough self-love. In fact, as I read the Bible, it warns us about being lovers of self. It says men in the last days will be this, First Timothy. But I want you to know that just because I'm not hitching a wagon to the love yourself train, I do think that what you think of yourself does matter. I believe that. We do need a right view of ourselves, one that's not narcissistic, of course, but one that rightly applies what scripture says about us and what our identity is through Christ Jesus. You see, we are his children. He chose and adopted us. He calls us his masterpieces. He loves us. He wants us. He thinks of us. He has plans for us. The Bible tells us so many truths about who we are, how we're made in God's image and set apart from the rest of creation. I don't believe that God wants us to think negative thoughts about ourselves either. I don't think it's his will that his daughters and sons sit around beating themselves up mentally over every misstep, misspeak, or failed resolution. I think we should try as best we can to use the truth of scripture to encourage ourselves when we fail. We should give ourselves grace and truth. And as scripture encourages, assess ourselves with sober judgment. We aren't to think that we're better than everyone else. In fact, Philippians 2.3 tells us to think of others as more significant than ourselves. But that doesn't mean we should put on the coat of false humility. Oh, I'm the worst. I mean, the truth is the person who thinks that he or she is the worst or worse off than everyone else has just as much pride as the person who decides she's better than everyone. Watch the thoughts you think about yourself. Don't be prideful, of course, but to honor God in the thoughts you think about yourself in every situation. King Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived, said, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Or maybe you're familiar with this verse from Proverbs 4, 23, like this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. He was giving instructions to his sons, and he could have given instructions on how to manage a kingdom or how to spend money or, or anything really at all. But instead, he says, above all else, guard your heart. So I've heard that verse used and applied to a variety of topics over the decades, but I think it applies most to our thought lives. Unless we guard what we think about other people, we will struggle to do what Jesus commands. We will struggle to love them well. 
So when I was in elementary school, you know, maybe up to sixth grade even, I was in a program called Missionettes, and we recited this verse at the beginning of every meeting. It's Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now I have a note on my desk, and it just has those words on it. It says, true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. The reason why I have this note on my desk is because I find that when I start to think negative thoughts about myself or negative thoughts about other people, when I start to question people's motives or go down, okay, I know you've probably done this too, you go down the trail of spiraling thoughts about other people. I found that when I have these words stuck to my computer, a place where I'll see them, it helps me catch myself. It helps me take my thoughts captive if they don't match the Philippians 4-8 list. I don't need to think about them if they're not noble, right, true, pure, lovely. This morning in my daily Bible reading, I was in Deuteronomy and chapter 5 verse 20 is where the Ten Commandments are listed again. I was reading the verse about not bearing false witness against our neighbors. And I thought how interesting that concept was if we think about it in relationship to our thought life. I mean, how many times are we bearing false witness against someone when we think negative things about them? I mean, most of the time, we don't even know the truth. We can't figure out someone else's motives. We can't assign motives for why other people do the things they do. Most of the time, we have no idea. But we let our thoughts go to these places, things, you know, like we talked about before, places where we would never confess to them going out loud. But we let our thoughts about other people go to these places where we end up kind of creating our own narrative about the other person and we don't even know if it's true. We're bearing false witness against them in our own hearts. So friends, here's my encouragement as we close today's episode. I want you just to remember as you go through this week, as you go through today, remember that what you think about other people does matter. And I think what you'll find is once you change your thoughts about others, you're going to start comparing yourselves to them less, first of all. But you might also find that it's easier to get along with other people, that it's easier to genuinely like other people or even like yourself in a healthy way. And this will make it so much easier to love others as God's asked us to do. Well, that's all for today's episode. I hope this episode has helped you think through some of these issues that maybe you've never thought of before. Anyway, I'm glad you were here. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you in the next episode. Hey friend, would you check out the date on that episode you just listened to? Yeah, it's been a minute. Listening to old podcasts is almost like reading my diary from several years ago. In some cases, it's even a little embarrassing. So instead of listening straight through season by season, can I encourage you to skip ahead? I release brand new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. And if you're not sure where to start, you can go to improvebodyimage.com, find the Start Here button, and I've got several episodes listed and categorized so you can find the topics that are of most interest to you. Your time is valuable, so skip straight to the good stuff. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for letting me be a part of your body image and food freedom journey. This, this is my skyship dreamer. My cargo is stories, and our destination, dreams. With Abide Sleep Stories for Kids, you can help your children fall asleep fast and learn about God. 
To find these kids' bedtime stories, go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Stories for Kids. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.